Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Woodshop, and with me today are my hosts, co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. Hello, JJ and Nathan. And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com, hit the submit button, and let's send it along to us. We also have a Patreon, so we only have one level white right now, and we are simply asking for a small donation to help keep this podcast going. So please go to worldwidewebpatreon.com slash perfectfirstlayer. So I thought we'd talk about what we've got going on in our labs shops right now. So what do you got going on, Nathan? Um, I've actually, I'm, I usually film these podcasts from my car and I've got a King Rune KP3S in my backpack. So I want to set that up somewhere. <laughs> and in my labs, I just recently started shipping out my modder boards. So that's my um, breakout boards that are for so that's my breakout boards that are used to make Ender 3S1 mods more easy. Um, so that's been taking up a lot of my time and packing and shipping all that stuff. But aside from that, I'm, I've got my Ender 5S1 that I want to get going. I'm planning on turning that into a real speed demon um, just because it looks good on camera and it's a pretty capable machine for something from Creality. And um, I've also been playing around with some laser cutters. So there's a lot of projects in, in process right now. Um, lots of reviews and just having fun in the shop. Good, good. What about you, JJ? Yeah, so I've been, I just had two orange pies show up this week. So I could finally put Clipper on some boards that have really needed it. Hopefully raspberry pies get reasonable soon. And then the King Rune KP3S, I've got whole pile of upgrades that i need to do on that one um so hopefully i can get that done this weekend and then just a bunch of printing i've been doing yeah uh i'm pretty familiar with those orange pies i actually did a video on those on my on my channel and one of the weird things about it is you can't just plug it in let it boot up and ssh into it you have to hook a monitor up to it it has to go through the process and then once that's up, you can SSH into it. It's for some reason. Yeah. It just so won't I've let you. found a way of doing it without a monitor. Okay. Um, so I've got it up and running. It's got Clipper running on it. But now I just need to get Clipper on the uh, actual printer. How did um, you get it running without a monitor? I'm not sure. I used on the Orange Pi Zero 2 on their website. Uh, they had an instruction ma- on the user's manual. There was a section on installing Clipper on it. And then to get it connected to the internet, I plugged it up to Ethernet. So then it connects to the internet um, and then was able to SSH into its IP address. I guess I should have read the manual. <laughs> That's when my, uh, my wife did that one for me since she's a uh, Linux software engineer. Oh. So she's pretty good. She was like, go to the manufacturer's website, stop using all these uh, online tutorials. And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually received my modder board from Nathan yesterday. All right, cool. Looking forward to see what you do with it. I'm very excited to put it on my Ender 5 S1. The one thing I really like about it is how you included that extra resistor to put in there so you can put a 12 volt fan yeah. right on it volt- without 
anything weird. Yeah, that's a 12-volt fan with some caveats. So I recommend yeah. just using a really low uh, power consumption fan because if you I'm put a... something that draws a lot of power, then it might uh, like melt some stuff. So Yeah, I I'm going to be putting a, a 4010 Noctua on it. Okay, that's a good so... fit. Yeah, um, yeah, that's typically what I put on my hot end fans for my hot end. So Very I didn't, um, I didn't design and test it for the Ender Five S One. So there's a bit of an, a compatibility issue because they changed the breakout board slightly on the Ender Five S One compared to the Ender Three. So right. that's something that you'll have to do a little bit of work on, but I'm sure you'll be able to handle it. I don't want to do any work. I just yeah. want to plug it and have it go. Yeah. I couldn't see the future on that one, so it's as drop in, it's as plug and play as possible on the Ender Three S one, but mm -hmm. on the Ender Five, you'll have to do a little bit of rewiring. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get over it. I, I did watch your video on it, and I saw how that one wheel or something was in the way of one of the plugs. So yeah, uh, that's not a big deal. So, anyways, let's start getting into our topic and our podcast. So I thought it would be great if we would talk about the strengths and weaknesses of today's 3D printers. And that really regards to their ease of use to new users. And, and that would be in comparison, you know, two, five, 10 years ago. Are they really ready for mass consumption? I mean, in terms of just unboxing and printing. I feel like they're getting close. They're still a few years out um, from where I wouldn't recommend it for a family member that's not tech savvy. Yeah. But someone who was willing to tinker with it because it works fine until it doesn't. And then the problem, I think, is fixing those issues when they do arise. When you start getting extrusion issues, when you need to replace the hot end, when you need to um, diagnose and troubleshoot things, I think isn't fully it's not flawless yet i yeah. think we're a few years still away from that i think there's some parallels you can draw to 2d printers so like <laughs> if you have a paper printer you get one of those and you have to set it up and you start printing with it and if some issue comes up like say you get a paper jam or the one of the print heads stops working they have a step-by-step -step guide and they have replaceable modules that are as easy to replace as possible Right now, with electronics and the way that 3D printers work, you have to pull out the multimeter and get a full set of screwdrivers and know exactly what you're going after in order to repair it. And it's just not straightforward at all. So I think the like the most refined version of the technology will have to be something like um, paper printers that can self-diagnose and feed you steps to do. So like, for instance, if you get a paper jam in a regular printer, they'll give you step-by-step -step instructions on how to clear the jam, which ports to open up, where to look, and pull things out. And it needs some kind of sensors to be able to verify that the jam has been cleared correctly. So there's just a level of refinement of the technology that has to occur before it's more of a mass market thing, in my opinion. So I guess the way I'm looking at it is you would think that the industry in general would try to be working towards making it more like, as you said, Nathan, a 2D printer, more of an appliance that everybody has in their home. 
and make it simple as possible. You pull it out, you put a you put a spool of filament on it, you download something, and it just goes. And you talked about that last time with slicers, where you don't have to slice it; you just you know send it to the printer, and it does all the slicing and does all that stuff for you. So I'm thinking more of like a like a toaster. It just works. <laughs> Um, and like I said, I would think that the industry would be moving towards that. Have, has there been anything that would indicate that they are trying to do that? Are they trying to keep it as a, you know, in our case, like a a regular homeowner, not a business, but, uh, an appliance? Well, I think it'd be interesting to look at some of the more advanced printers that are used in industrial applications and see what they do. I know that a lot of those printers come with service contracts. So there's a trained technician that comes with the machine, essentially. That'll come out and make sure everything's working and diagnose things if you have problems. And that's kind of the same way that like an office laser jet printer works. Like if you buy a printer from Xerox, it comes with a service contract and you've got a guy that comes out and repairs it and makes makes sure everything's working. But in order for that kind of level of refinement to trickle down into everyday products, then I think you kind of have to take the model that 2D printers are taking where um, they present you step-by-step instructions and put sensors in there and make it as easy as possible to replace things. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to replace a specific fan or like a, a, a PCB inside of the printer and having to redo all the wiring, if you can get it to the point where you can just pull the whole module out and put a new module back in. I think that's got to be what we get to eventually. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly what I'm talking about, but I I guess the way I'm looking at it is I've been involved in this for a little over two years now in, in the 3d printing space. And it doesn't look to me anyways, that there's been any significant advancement at all in the technology the technology they had two years ago may be getting more refined, but I don't see anything that's really groundbreaking. I feel like uh, maybe not in the last two years, um, but with the last few printers I've checked out, I've been impressed with how few issues I've had versus my first printer back four or five true, years ago True, of having so many little issues and all the common mods on printers have now become standard place stock on fairly cheap printers nowadays. Um, And so many improvements in technology. I think it takes longer than maybe you'd expect. So like two years, things are still about the same. But in since the last four years, things like uh, better extruders have been a big part of that. Um, Just the little technologies and movements toward dual gear extruders versus the older single gear Bowden systems. Now dual gear direct drive systems are really common um, yeah. and impressively good. Yeah. What well, Nathan, what do you, what, what do you think about all this? So um, one thing that I'm a little bit sad about is I feel like once printers become refined enough, it'll be the death of 3d printer modding. So right now I'm doing all these mods because there's these blatant deficiencies in the design. But once we're at a point where 
the printer just works and you can just send it files and print whatever you want and it's doing it nice and fast, then I don't think you're going to really need to modify the machines anymore. But it seems like every machine that I get in still has some really kind of, I would call them uh, relatively major issues that need to be fixed, whether it's fans that are way too loud or the exclusion of an all-metal heat break, like they use PTFE-lined, or they're using extruders that just don't perform very well at higher speeds. There's still a lot of things that are wrong with 3D printers today that you can get. So uh, I want to I want to draw an analogy to a point you just made. And I'm just uh, my job here is to play devil's advocate. I, I'm not really trying to argue with you guys about anything because you know more about this stuff than I do. But uh, let's as you you made it, you made a good point of if they get too refined, it'll kill modding. And I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. So if you look at, say, like a car, cars really don't require modding, but people do it anyways. Um, and I think that there's always going to be like a underground movement on this stuff to do those type of mods, whatever the, whatever the product is. JJ? I think a, a great example of that is around the Voron community, Rat Rig, uh, Annex Engineering, um, all these people and communities that love building their own printers, putting their own, comp- you know, deciding which components they want to put on there or not put on there, changing the design. Um, and yes, the entry level $200 printer will get better and better over time and will have less and less issues and need less mods. But I think. I think you're right that same with cars, people who want to upgrade and want to change and tweak and tinker with it. Um, I think that community won't die out anytime soon. Yeah. And to relate it back to cars, if you think like way back when, when cars were first becoming prevalent, I, I don't really I remember that. Of, <laughs> yeah. I don't have a whole lot of uh, personal experience in that area, but there used to be tons of car companies there are like hundreds. And now we've kind of boiled down to just a few that are making millions of cars. So I think when an industry is young, you have a lot of kind of like an explosion of different companies and different approaches, but then it all kind of uh, settles down into kind of a more refined design and everyone's kind of making the same thing just because that's what people want and that's what works the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good example. Of that is all the, uh, I guess the 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 two twenty by two twenty by three hundred bed slingers that are out there, <laughs> and it's all it it seems from my view, it's almost a race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. How how much stuff can we pack in here and get it as inexpensive as possible? Now I'm one of those consumers that I don't feel that price is everything. I want to buy something. And if I know if I have to mod it beforehand, I'm cool with that because that's what I bought it for. But if I want to pay for something, I want to make sure that it works and the, 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 the technology is worth what I pay for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like the, um, with the whole recent black Friday and all these sales and stuff, uh, I really like how democratized printers are with everything being so open source that 
I feel like consumers are really gooding a good deal on it. It's not like with a car company where there's only a few companies and they can charge kind of whatever they all want to because there's not as much competition versus if Creality were to charge an extra $100 on their printer, then they wouldn't sell any printers because every other company would come in and undercut them. So everyone gets a good deal on these printers in the low-end budget range of printers. So Nathan, who do you think... Out of the, 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 the things you know, what manufacturers do you think are the most forward-thinking in the consumer hobbyist, at the consumer hobbyist level? I would have to go with Bamboo Labs on that one. Um, they're actually like kind of shipping everything in a pre-assembled kit, um, and they're taking care of bed leveling for you to the point where you never know you if you bought one of those and were printing you'd never know about the joys of using a piece of paper to help you level the bed like i think that's kind of ridiculous that 90 percent of the printers that you get on the market today require you to get a piece of paper out and manually <laughs> turn these knobs and stuff um it's very archaic <laughs> yeah even on like 500 600 machines like the uh the um ender 5s1 you still have to do a manual bed leveling procedure. And you also, um, despite it having a bed leveling probe, you also have to do like this offset calculation. Most printers that have a automatic bed leveling probe, you have to calibrate. So that's something where it seems like they could calibrate that from the factory and just send you something that prints right out the box. But offloading all of this like technical work onto the end consumer is always going to be a little a little bit of a barrier to some people. Yeah. I think I've seen some printers that are trying to that have tried to or are trying to move uh, trying to move away from the bed leveling sensors like the BL touch or a inductive probe where they're physically tapping the bed with the nozzle and yeah. checking the height that way. And those don't require the Z offset. I'm trying to remember who is. Anycubic has a few that have that. Anycubic. Um, and I haven't tested those out, but they seem really cool. Instead of using a separate probe, it's let's probe off of the nozzle because that's where it really matters. So Z offset should be a constant set thing. Yeah. I think Voron has just come out with one too. I think it's in beta. Yeah. Yeah, so the Bamboo Labs and Mingda Magician are the two that I know of that use that technology. Hmm. Cool. Um, Some people complain about uh, if you have plastic solidified on the nozzle, then it can cause an issue because then you're leveling it to that piece of plastic. But I feel like that's something you could easily take care of. Like on the Bamboo Labs, it's got a little scrubber head that it just moves off to the side and cleans the nozzle off before it does that. Hmm. Do do you have one of those printers, Nathan? I don't. Um, I would like to get one. I've asked for one, but they're not. Uh, they're not sending one yet. <laughs> yeah, I think they're the new cheaper one from them looks really impressive. If if it's as good as it seems, you know, early announcement and early reviews are one thing, but see how it lasts in six months. Um, yeah. But, but that's one of the, and, and Nathan, I think, hit the nail right on the head. And that's kind of what I was driving towards was the Bamboo Labs, because that is just to take it out of the box and start using it. 
You still have to slice the software somewhere else. However, it just seems like for consumers at the price it's at, it's a pretty decent value and a good idea. Is there anything else out there that you think is forward thinking? Well, I think a lot of 3D printer companies are a little backwards thinking where they just are making the same design over and over again. <laughs> That's like why I said it's a, it's a race yeah. to the bottom. Yeah. So they're competing on price and I guess um, trying to add in little extra features that some people like. But really what companies need to do is just reinvent the 3D printer and just like start from the ground up and be like, okay, what experience do we want people to have when they're using this thing? I feel like everything's built on the baseline of, well, you have a little dial screen with a like a little LED dis- LCD display and you put the SD card in there and using that as a starting point. And when you do that, you're never going to really come out with something that's different than what's out, out there today. Yeah, I, I had mentioned in the first episode how I got into 3D printing, which was I needed something printed. And my son, who had a 3D printer, had sold it, and I had no way to do it. So I started researching 3D printers. I mean, I'm talking hours of watching videos, reading all kinds of stuff, and then and then trying to figure out where my money is best spent as far as value to what I needed to get done. It was a huge investment in time. And I don't think a lot of people... I should say most people don't have that type of commitment to learn about it. They just want to buy it and use it. And I'm really hoping that someday that that's going to be the case. Yeah. I feel like there's not the quantifiable differences. I recently bought, we bought a new vacuum and you can look at vacuum review channels that stack up the vacuums and do these objective tests. And you can say, this one sucks this hard. This one picks up this much dirt. And you can rank them versus one printer to another printer. is like comparing two cars where it's like, well, they both get you there. but And there's so many factors that go into it. And objectively ranking one versus another, I think, is one of the difficult things, especially for a beginner looking into it, of... How do you know what to do or which which YouTuber are you going to trust most and how many printers have they really tested out? So, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a really good point. Um, what do you think are the most important things that need to be done? Let's say if you could pick one thing that needs to be done, let's say, in the next year to try to advance that, you know, out of the box experience. What do you think, Nathan? Well, first of all, just having something that works without having to do any setup would be Mm -hmm. huge. Um, When you're building something at a factory, you have a bunch of technicians and experts in the design that can put it together and make sure that it's working. It's kind of ridiculous to offload that onto the end user because, like, I bet someone in the Creality factory could put together an Ender 3 in, like, five minutes versus if you buy the kit, You get it in your hands and you're like, okay, let me stick all these things together. Like it took me about an hour to put together the uh, Ender 5S1. And if they would have just had it pre-assembled in the box, it would have only been slightly bigger. 
but that would take off an hour of assembly for me. So, um, plus there's all sorts of issues with people putting it together incorrectly and that kind of stuff. And, uh, who knows if they're doing any type of quality control when they're not even putting the printer together. So it's just, it raises a lot of questions about the quality and the experience that the end consumer is going to get. So I think first of all, yeah. No, go finish, finish. I'm sorry. Oh, so I think first of all, you got to make sure that you've built and tested the machine before you send it out. That's like, I think a baseline for having a reliable printer for, for people to get. And then the second part is like the user experience. So do we need to have a slicer? Do we need to have a clipper web interface? I mean, I know those are nice things, but it would be even better if you could just, you know, click on something on a website, hit control P and have it print out on your printer um, and have a lot of the process be automated from the software side. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, JJ? Yeah, I think uh, build quality is a big part of it because a lot of that comes down to how well you can align pull align screws and screw it together. Like I'll still take 30 minutes to an hour to put together the most basic printers just because I really try to line everything up perfectly because it's so important to the final quality. So yeah, if they put it in a bigger box, had it assembled at a factory, pre-tightened all the screws to the exact correct tightness um, could be a lot better. And then I think a lot of it in the next year, I would say, is finding a printer that puts it all together, has all the correct parts already in there. So putting auto bed leveling, a dual part cooling fan, a good direct drive extruder, um, and a good quality speed, a good Cura profile straight out of the box is a big part that I don't see on cheaper printers. They slap a basic profile that prints really slowly, doesn't do correct things. You still need to do a temperature tower. You still need to do a retraction tower. All these calibration and tuning that is still on the consumer when it shouldn't be. I think the a lot of that tuning should be done already for you. Yeah, I'm probably opening up a can of worms here, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out. I, I when I first started, I'm gonna go back to when I first started looking for a printer. It seemed to me, and I still think this now, that probably the most popular consumer printer would be the Prusa Mark III. That's a design that hasn't changed in five or six years. It takes, even when you get it semi-assembled, it takes hours to put together. And people still buy it as a first-time printer. Hmm. Think about that for a second. Here's a company that's made no real advancements in anything. They've changed some, you know, extruder stuff and a few of the things like this, that, and the other thing, but they really haven't changed the core design of the machine in a long time. (laughs) And they're still highly in demand. Yeah, I think they get, um, you know, they have a lot of legacy. Uh, They have kind of a legacy of being big in the 3D printer community. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of paved the way for a lot of what we are taking for granted today. But that said, um, the longer you manufacture a product, the lower cost it becomes. And them not adjusting the price down to account for that, that just means they're taking higher margins. So you got to wonder how much they're making off each printer that they're selling 
when um, all their competitors are selling printers for a third or a quarter of the price. Yeah, you look at the design of that printer and it's all 3D printed parts. There's no injection molding. There's no steel stamped anything. It's just you print the parts out if you if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've never put a producer together. Uh, so this is a question for you, Guy. Um, do you think you learned a lot when putting it together that made you better at troubleshooting issues? Yes. What I bought was a FizeTech, FizeTech clone. Mm, and I yeah. had to print out all the parts myself. And I did it on the Ender 3v2. All said and done, I think it was like 80 hours of printing yeah. on that thing. And then it took me two weekends to put it together. And then another two weekends to do it. <laughs> but it works really good. Uh, Nathan, what, 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 do you, what do you got? So um, I kind of have a question for you guys. <clears throat> and that relates to the state of 3D printers today and what I think it should be in the future. And that is... Um, if you were buying a car today, would you rather get a gigantic crate of parts and put it together yourself? Or would you rather get a car that's already built, tested, and you know that it works? JJ? I'd get the finished car. <laughs> As a much younger man, if I was still in my 20s, I'd say yes. I'll take the parts. I got the time. I want to learn about stuff. But now, I mean... I hire people to paint. I don't want any part of it. <laughs> yeah. So, if I need the car tomorrow, I'll take the finished one. But yep. yeah, fun project. And if it was electric, not mechanical, with being an electrical engineer, I would be way more into building an electric car than a mechanical car because uh, not yeah, great at so, those. <laughs> so the reason I bring that up is like, we don't really have a good out of the box option. And if you look at most things like you you can get kits of parts and put it together yourself but the mass market like 95 to 99 percent of people just want to get something that they know works and that's been already assembled so i mean that's kind of where i see the future going for 3d printing yeah i i agree with you 100 percent, and that's why i brought this subject up because i really think that it needs to move towards that which is like i need a toaster I go yeah. and buy a toaster, I plug it in, and I turn it on. I so one of the, and I toast, toast my bread. <laughs> yeah. One of the things about 3D printers that's kind of unique is you have a little bit of a selection bias in the type of people that are into 3D printing. So the type of people that are into 3D printing are also the type of people that like putting their own things together. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, a it kind of is like a self-reinforcing loop where People who are into 3D printing don't mind putting the thing together, so then companies sell things that have to be put together. But eventually someone's got to like, leapfrog into making a fully assembled device. And yeah. it, it kind of seems like uh, Bamboo Labs might be the company that's doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I was trying to bring that up before with the, the analogy of cars. There's a whole subculture to everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm sure there's a subculture to toasters like I was talking about before. <laughs> Um, but 3d printing, it is, in my opinion, it is a subculture right now. It's not mainstream and people, as you mentioned, uh, Nathan are very dogmatic about certain things and certain products. And I, when I watch the videos, I don't know if they truly believe that, or they're just glad they're getting 
free stuff from manufacturers and just promoting it that way. I can think of one or two YouTubers that are extremely popular and I don't believe a word coming out of their mouth because they're so tied into the manufacturer. I'm not going to say who that is, but that's the way I see some of that stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a conversation we're going to have to have offline, guys. <laughs> and it's not its not you, Nathan. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not you. Um, all right. Uh, do, do you guys have anything else you want to add to the conversation? No, I think this uh, – I've said everything I want to say. I'm, I'm glad uh, we at least have a, a spoken record of – this is what people want and this is where we need to go on the future of pre-assembled 3d printers. I think that'd be a, a good thing. All right. Well, we have, we have a, we have a few more minutes. So JJ brought this yeah. up. I, I think it's a good question and I don't want to get, you know, have a two hour conversation about it, but filament. Um, and this goes into what we were kind of talking about is improvement over time. Do you think improvement, filament has improved in the last, let's say five years. And if so, what are those improvements that has made it better and easier to use? I JJ? think the manufacturing of whatever machines manufacture PLA are just getting better and better, especially over the past five years, where when I was first getting into 3D printing, if you bought cheap filament, it might work, but you're probably going to have more and more issues with it. Um, whereas now you buy a sub $20 spool of PLA, and I'm not sure how cheap you can go. You know, is a $10 spool probably going to give you some issues, but a $20 or on sale at $15 even, you can get some really good PLA um, and just not have any stringing issues, really quality prints that come out of it. And then I'll test out the cheap spools that come bundled with printers and they're horrible. Yeah. So the cheap filament is still exists out there, but I think on the consumer end of things, uh, things are getting better and better. Uh, I would probably agree with that. Nathan, can you give us any insight into why the, the PLA system is getting better? The filament's getting better over time. So I have a seven or eight year old spool of uh, Hatchbox filament and I actually used it in one of my 3D printer reviews and I was going to post a little blurb about like, oh, this is really old filament, but I didn't. And I, I think you'd have a hard time figuring out which uh, video that was because they were making good filament back in the day. And uh, I'll just tell you, it was from Hatchbox. So Hatchbox old school filament was still good, but there are, there were, and there still are a couple options where I guess the quality isn't super well controlled and they might be adding the wrong type of polymers and stuff to where the, um, the, the stuff doesn't print well, but nowadays you've got a lot of good options for low prices. So I'd agree with JJ on that. I feel um, like it, um... the, the, the one other thing I want to mention with 3d printer filaments is there's like, I don't know if there's any regulation of it, if the dyes and uh, additives they're using are certified to be, you know, safe or, or whatnot. So, I mean, that's one concern that I have a little bit is that people are making these plastic blends, but you don't know what type of plastic they're putting in there. Are they blending in little bits of um, 
PTFE? Are they adding like ABS into what they'll, they're labeling as a PLA plus? So it's, um, I think that's a little worrying and I'd like to see manufacturers be more transparent about what they're putting in their filaments. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I, 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 I always keep going back to when I first got involved in this, in this sector of the market. I spent a lot of that time trying to figure out what filament I should be using, who I should buy it from, all that kind of stuff. I didn't know the difference between PLA and nylon at that point. To me, it was just the stuff on a spool. So when I started researching it, I was looking for things like you are talking about, Nathan. I'm looking for things like MSDS sheets, material safety data Mm. sheets that tell me exactly what is in the product. I'm looking for any type of certification that this is what it says it is. There's none of that. It's all on blind faith. Right. Especially with the cheaper stuff. I wonder, um, I bet there's parts that are made for like space and military applications where they have like complete traceability. But um, a random spool of PLA from China, you're probably not going to get much on it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the the more expensive companies do have more documentation on things, um, but then you're spending way more on a spool of filament that I think most consumers would skip over. Um, but one thing about consistent uh, filament consistency, I think, is big now that we didn't have five years ago. Where I remember when I was starting out, I bought a spool of Hatchbox, and it was good, so I bought another one. And it wasn't good. I had some clogs and issues with it. Just throughout, I mean, a few clogs of inconsistent extrusion throughout the entire spool. Versus now, I feel like you don't have those issues. Or overture. I started out, I bought one, a few spools and had good results with it. Then I bought one spool and had a few clogs because there were a few inconsistent parts on the entire spool. And I was like, well, overture might be a cheap brand. But then over Black Friday, I just bought another five spools of their stuff because it was on sale. Because it's so consistent and you can rely on these mid $20 spools, spool to spool, you're not going to have any weird inconsistencies in them. So I guess the question is, is what filament manufacturer do you guys go to on a regular basis and why? Nathan? Um, I got a lot of Polyterra recently because it was on sale. I think a lot of people just stock up when they find a deal. And I also like their colors. They have a lot of nice colors. But, so you're basing a decision on price. Yeah, price and color, um, okay. which is kind of unfortunate. I wish I could say that I was a little more principled and that I wanted to buy the filament that I knew what it was. But you don't. Uh, That's right. That's the problem. So I feel like at that point, it almost kind of makes sense to have government regulations, even though I know that always tends to be controversial and can, yeah. can cause issues. But we need some form of consumer protections to make sure that we're not getting like uh, dyes that really shouldn't be used. Like, for mm-hmm. instance, there's dyes that are used in other countries that aren't allowed in, in EU or in the U.S. because of, they have carcinogenic or toxic properties, but they're fine with using them in China. So if our filament's being made over there, do you know that those dyes aren't being used and sent over here. Yeah. I, 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 I am a big fan of not having government involved in anything 
if it doesn't need to be. Um, But I have no problem with maybe some people in the industry getting together and being kind of like a, a, a governing consortium on this is what the standards are and this is what you should provide. And I think the manufacturers would gel around that and say, okay, for me to be able to sell my filament, people are going to see, see, do I have this certification from this governing force? What's, what's your go-to mm-hmm. filament, JJ? Yeah, so I have a few. I've been really liked um, print bed filament. Um, so they're a U.S.-based company. And they I found them on an Instagram ad. And <laughs> they their big thing is they do next day delivery for $5 on any order. Um, and so I was like, let's try it out. So I ordered a few spools and it showed up the next day. And it prints really well. They don't have a huge variety of colors. So that's the big issue there. The other one I really like is Paramount 3D. They've got really fun colors, but they're a little more expensive, closer to the $25 range. Um, and then Overture is the cheap one when I can find it on sale. They've got good variety um, and good prices on things. Yeah, I buy almost all Overture. And there's a couple of reasons. First of all is the price, the availability of it, and the colors. Um, I like the, the recyclable spools. Yeah. I, I also like on the side of it, how they have cutouts and have like a little estimation of how much filament you have left. I hate the solid black plastic sides. I don't know how much yeah. filament is left on the damn spool. You had something to add JJ? No. Yeah. The cardboard, uh, same thing with print bed. Um, I used to like Paramounts, but they still use plastic spools. And so that's why I mostly, mostly use Overture and Printbed, since they've got cardboard spools. You're just recycling them at the end. Yeah, I like Play putting them in my recycle bin instead yeah. of, you know, so. Um, so, um, JJ, do you have a supplier for your tricolor or two-color filaments? I don't know if so you're printed with that stuff. That one, uh, Arion E. Oh, Arion. Yeah, I'm I've not sure how to spell it. Yeah. It's like everyone, but like you're drunk. Missing a few <laughs> letters in there. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the one I tried for a dual color extrusion filament. Um, and it worked amazing. Like I was expecting to need to tune it a little bit. Um, but I printed the same profile I use on all my other PLA and it just comes out two colors. It's on sale right now. I'm going to buy some. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It's super fun. All right. I, I've never used like that multicolor PLA. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, It's kind of the new thing. (laughs) Yeah. I print a lot. I'll print a lot of PLA. I also print a lot of PETG. I think the, the multicolor filaments look kind of ugly sometimes because like the filament can just twist and then you've got the color shifting, like changing halfway through the print. Yes. Yeah. I like things looking like really regular and consistent. So uh-huh. I'm not sure if that'll, it'll be able to deliver. Yeah. I was expecting to have issues where the filament would twist, but so far I have never had it twist on me. So I'm not sure what I'm doing right there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Anything else to add guys? No, I think this is a good chat. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. And, 
people listening, remember, we really need some questions and participation from you. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com, go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everybody out there where you can be found? So you can find me over on YouTube. That's Nathan Builds Robots over on YouTube. And um, I post videos about once a week doing 3D printer reviews and mods. So check it out. All right, cool. What about you, JJ? Yes, I'm over at YouTube as well. You can find me at JJ Shankles. And And I can be found at Guy's Woodshop, also Guy's Shop. I'm still waiting for them to kick it in. So if you search Guy's Shop, it actually comes up, but it it doesn't. So just go to Guy's Woodshop. Anyways, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll see everybody in the next show. See ya. Bye. You're going to say bye, Nathan? Yeah, bye.